Hello, you're tuned into Repeater, a little show about big songs. It's like a radio program, but without the waves. You know, podcasts barely even involve pods these days. They should probably just be called phonecasts. But if you are still listening on your iPod, we appreciate the effort you've gone through and admire your stubbornness. My name is Pat Cartelli, and with me as always is Evan Ford Barden. And we've got one heck of a show for you. Nicole Silverberg is here. Nicole is a comedian in New York City, an editor at Reductress, and a writer and performer at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Joining her on the show is singer-songwriter Kaylin Marie, who you may remember from her very first episode. She's back for more tunes and more swoons. We recorded this episode on the one-year anniversary of our live show, and the room was filled with good vibes. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Repeater. Hello, Hi, Nicole. Thanks so no, much for I'm being look here. Look at my dress real quick. Okay, <laughs> cool. We're good. <laughs> Nailed it. It's a podcast, but I'm wearing a dress, and the angle is not. <laughs> uh, the odds are against me. <laughs> We're sorry we stacked them. It's okay. I did this to myself. <laughs> it's why I didn't wear a dress today. Yeah. Mm. Well, you guys knew. <laughs> Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, how's your Saturday going? Oh, good. Um, I was working all day and got dressed um, before I left the house. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know, we're being honest. Yeah. No, we are. I was this, working all day. <laughs> I worked from home all day. I had someone bring me a sandwich in the middle of the day. Amazing. And then I got dressed and um, put on lipstick and just was like, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it. Uh, so the way we start each show is just by going down the line, and we're just going to mention somebody something that we've been uh, listening to lately. So Pat will kind of kick us off. Great. So you have like two moments to think about it. <laughs> um, uh, do I go into the thing? Yeah. I go into the thing. <sighs> so I like the Stranger Things soundtrack is really. <laughs> you think that's really where good. I'm going? Uh oh. The Stranger Things soundtrack is really good, and the song, uh, if you've seen it, whatever, there's a song where Winona Ryder is just sort of trudging around the house, hanging lights up. That song's pretty great. (laughs) But what I did decide to start listening to, uh, they're called the Disintegration Loops. Yeah. You know this? Yes. Okay, so (laughs) it's... it's, There's like a Radiolab episode about them or something. Or something about them. (laughs) Um, and what they are are these tracks that are anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour long and they're just tape loops that some guy had that it's just like ambient noise repeating and over like the hour the tapes just sort of disintegrate and it affects the sound and like it starts to lose the treble and then sometimes they get really staticky and sometimes they lose audio for like 10 seconds at a time uh that guy's, it was a long week at work. It was kind of relaxing. <laughs> There's no way to really describe these things without sounding like really artsy and pretentious, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's what I've been listening to. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to those? Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts? Um, it's, I mean, it, I, I listened to them like when I was in college and would like be yeah. working 
late at night. They're they're good. That that was like honestly one of my first kind of musical forays into like weird music. <laughs> and so it was like I would if I was describing it, I wouldn't have like used the word treble. I would have been like it gets all dusty and like yeah. <laughs> and like crackly. Um, but yeah, I mean they're they're great and yeah. they're. They're bizarre because you also just know that the the moment that that sound was created, like it's it's a one time thing. Because by the time they're at, they're over, the tape is destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing that I really enjoy about it is like it's a very analog yes, uh, experience because yeah. like a digital file is just going to end up sounding kind of bubbly and digital. And this, it just the whole time through, even though it's like self destroying, always feels a little warm and relaxing. Mm. I like that. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to swing just like a little bit different direction. <laughs> I've been listening to Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion. <laughs> Emotion Side B EP, which she released a year to the day after Emotion, earlier year to the week maybe, uh, after Emotion. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, more, I think I like the actual LP better uh, but the EP if you guys aren't familiar with Carly's work uh, <laughs> it's like a lot more geared towards songs that she was probably like they were targeting a lot of emotion has a lot of like uh, early 90s pop elements I think some 80s stuff too and I think like um, the B-side EP is like a lot of essentially like stuff that's like really in that direction that maybe they thought like, oh, if we make a whole album of this, it's going to be too much. So that's why maybe it ended up on the cutting room floor. But there's some good tracks on there. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. I like Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, no, I uh, really like her more than <laughs> <laughs> um, I, Like there's something about, I've, I've found myself defending myself about this like multiple times recently. Well, there's something about the fact that she's like my age that I like a lot because she came on the scene kind of late for a teeny bopper or something like that. Well, and Call Me Maybe just like, we were told it was a one hit wonder before she'd even released anything else. Yeah. yeah. Like we didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and that out al- her first album, I was like, okay on, uh, but then her, the last album emotion, I was like, Oh cool. You can just do cool stuff. Yeah. And yeah. you're great. And I am like a fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What have you been up to? Um, Musically. I Angel Olsen just came out with a new album, so that's what I have been doing. Um, I don't know how many people here listen to her. She's not like she's like around. <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> what, what, it's not what like that obscure. She, um, she she is a singer songwriter. Just her and a guitar. She's got kind of a a slightly warbly voice. Um. I don't know. She's kind of like Joanna Newsom, but in like, you know, two octaves down. Um, but she's, she's really, she's really uh, like kind of gentle and her song structures are really inconsistent. So she's uh, like, every song feels like particularly sculpted to like a, an emotion. And it's like, it's like the sad shit. I mean, it's, it's like, that is what I pull out when I'm just like, I don't know what it means. Like she's like the go-to and, um, and her last album I think came out in 2014. So it had been a little like a normal amount of time, but like 
two years is enough yeah. that when you're, when a new album comes out, you're like, thank you. <laughs> um, and her new album, it's, it's a little bit more polished just from a production standpoint, but man, she's just so good. Um, and I listen to her and I feel so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what can you say her name one more time? Angel Olson. Angel Olson. Yeah, cool. I first saw her like at Pitchfork like years ago, and I was like, you know, I don't know how many people have been, like been to Pitchfork, but like you go the, the and you're festival. Yeah, the festival, yeah. and you're just like, I mean, it's just so truly hit or miss because they because as a publication, like there's certain people they're just like we love them, and you're just like, Ugh, okay, yeah. it sounds like two tires clanging together. <laughs> um, and so, you know, she, she had like the itty bitty bangs and like the guitar and like the jean skirt. And I was like, okay, let's see. And then I was like weeping in the middle of the field <laughs> in July. And I was like, okay, touche. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, cool. Well, so we invited you here to share a song with us. Yeah. Um, can you let us know what that song is? Song is Shadow Song by the Mountain Goats. Sweet. We're going to listen to uh, a little clip of it right now. Love the lo-fi vibe to this song. Ooh, lo-fi. I think it uh, makes the song hit a lot better. Recorded on a uh, tape deck. Oh, that makes sense. Let's get like a nice atmospheric hum from it. Yeah. It's really good. This is NPR. Very simple, very beautiful. I like that little. Awesome. Uh, so we each tried to guess why you picked this song. Yeah, go for it. Um, I'll go first. Is that sure. cool? Yeah. Uh, I listened to the song like a bunch this past week because um, it's good. Yeah. And I, at least I was listening to the album a, a good amount too. Oh yeah, um, yeah. The coroner's gambit. Gambit, yeah. Um, to me, my first guess was uh, high school breakup, but then I was kind of—I don't know. Maybe this is like where I found out about the mountain goats. But then I was kind of like, I don't know. They're like a little too poetic for high school, so I thought college then. So cool. My official, <laughs> my my official guess is college. Breakup. I mean, I won't tell you if it's right or wrong, but I will tell you that I did not have a boyfriend until I was 20, so you're on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> the lips lips in general went untouched. Like, kisses did not happen until college. I was afraid. <laughs> um, okay. Pat, do you good have a, guess, a good guess? guess. Uh, but when you asked me to guess at first, I got crazy anxiety because when when the mountain goats do like a bummer song, it is a bummer song. Yeah. Uh, but just given what the song is, I just sort of figured it was just a loss of somebody or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the song's about. Well, right. But yeah. Uh, so enlighten us. Um. I mean, it, it, there isn't like a particular event that I associate with the song. It's just like a feeling. I first listened to the Mountain Goats when I was by myself in a hotel room my senior year of college on a choir tour. And a, but, and all the girls who I was, was rooming with went out to get like dessert and I wasn't invited. And I, which is 
it's fine. <laughs> but my my very my very best friend who I had met the summer prior at like a summer program lived in New York and I had it had been this weird trip of like uh, being with these people in this choir tour, I was like, I don't really feel like I have any true friends here, but then getting to visit this friend who I had made through the summer program and being like, Oh, this is like an example of someone who like really gets me. And, um, I had said goodbye to him and these girls were out, um, getting like ice cream. And I was in this hotel room by myself. And that's when I heard Mount goats for the first time. And, like from then on it became like an obsession. This was like January of my senior year of high school. And then somewhere like probably within the next year is when I kind of came across shadow song and it like was the closest song to like that feeling I had had the first time I listened to the band where it was just the song is it's, it is, it's clearly about a loss, but, and it's so short. And then the the song's like, if you get there before me, will you save me a seat? And then it says like, if I don't, if I don't show, will you leave the seat empty? And then it says, if I, you know, if, if I, if I don't show up, if I get there late, will you light a fire and just let it burn if I don't get there? And then we just listened to the end of the song where it says, this is a song for you in case I never make it through to where you are. And it's so unclear to me whether the person who's singing is the one who died or they're singing to the person who has. Mm -hmm. And I think it like kind of goes back and forth because I think that's how loss feels like being left behind feels very similar, I think, to being the person who's doing the leaving. And so that kind of is like the feeling that it gives me but I do listen to it after breakups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's interesting. Um, Cause it's uh, it. So for like, for you, is this song a little bit representative of like your attachment to mountain goats or your love? Yes. Mountain goats in general? Yes. I love, I love the mountain goats. It's like one of those bands where it's just like a friend to you, like been there for every important moment in your life. Yeah. And like, I mean, the Mount Goats have like 600 songs. So, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to find a band to stick with to the end, you might as well do one who has like, <laughs> you can kind of serve up whatever you need. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of represents like my love for like the band and for music, but also just, you know, like when you need to stop ignoring the pit of sadness, like that, yeah. you know, is right down in your gut. Like this is a song for that. One of the things that struck me too about listening to that album a bunch of times was um, like it was it's one of the more you know melodic songs I feel like his singing on that song uh, on that album and it's just really um, it's beautiful you know yeah. it's, it's a really pretty song uh, because you know I think um, he has a way of like some songs are just very plainly delivered you know almost like uh, sing talking uh, to an extent yeah and um, this one was really just like yeah really pretty to listen to yeah the song is also, I mean, it's it's weird, like, the way that music works now where you don't have to, like, come across a record or hear it on the radio in order to figure it out. It's really easy to, like, collect music without having to try really hard. Like, Corner's Gambit came out when I was 10. Yeah. When I, yeah. I had just turned 10. Like, in another age, I'm not sure I would have ever 
listened to the song or even come across Corners Gambit in general, but uh it, you know, it's a point in the Mountain Goats career where like it's after all of these albums and these songs where I mean, you can kind of hear like this whirring underneath and he would record them directly onto a tape deck. And, uh, and this is like the last, you know, four years or so of him doing that in his career, but definitely the beginning of this last stage where it kind of was like reaching the peak of using that method of recording. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first album I heard from them was uh, All Hell West Texas. Okay, yeah. So that is also very heavily recorded on just sort of like crappy uh, equipment. And it has that whirring that after a while just turns into like a little bit of a comforting extra instrument. Right. Because it's like an acoustic guitar, but then you have that just like humming in the background. And it's interesting how much that adds to it. And especially going back to like... Because there's stuff that from them that I haven't heard. And I'm a huge Mountain Goats fan. Yeah, yeah. And like, so like listening to this song the other day, there was just stuff that was popping up on YouTube where I was like, I didn't know that this was a thing. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, he has so, he has so much. He, uh, yeah, I mean, All Hill West Texas is like, I think the first album I heard from Mountain Goats was, um, might have been We Shall All Be Healed. But... It also could have been the sunset tree, one of the one of the two. But the, but those are two of like they were released like a very close together, and they're mm-hmm. kind of similar in that they're two autobiographical albums in a tapestry of albums that are kind of purposefully not autobiographical. Although this song is, he did write this song for a friend of his who killed himself. So like. It's um, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like his range is great though because it is a sad, sad, sad song, and you get the songs uh, that are more just sort of like the dramatic, like because on Corners Gambit there's uh, Family Happiness, where it's just song. like he's beating on the guitar and the lyrics are just uh, was that. Um, you can arm me to the teeth, but you can't make me go to war. Yeah. <laughs> which is like such a direct like. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. But then the last album they put out is all about wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> and that came out of nowhere and it's a beautiful record. Yeah, that, that record is great. I, uh, I've i seen the Mountain Goats live, I think, six times. And um, the most recent time was when he was touring for um, his most recent album about wrestling. And it was like, I now am have been to enough concerts promoting new albums that I can kind of tell which ones are like the instant classics. Because when you have any artist who has um, recorded so much, you suddenly get these like pockets of fans who are like, well, this is fine, but it's not like the good old days. And like Mountain Goats definitely have like some good old days fans where they think that like anything that was recorded after he moved off of a tape deck is like not worth listening to. Um, which, you know, it's their prerogative, but like, <laughs> shut up, dude, I guess is like my t- stance on yeah. that, which is also his stance on it. He's like, well, I mean, that's not what I do anymore. So yeah. I guess enjoy. But, um, but yeah, I mean, people, when I saw that concert, people were just like already like going ham for that album. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Did you see, were you at the city winery show or? 
Um, at uh, Webster. I went to Webster. Okay. Because yeah. City Winery, he like, it was a sit down crowd in front of, it was like a fan, the fanciest show I've ever been to. I've been to a fancy show of his. It's dope as hell. It's amazing. <laughs> City Winery is like a nice place to see it was a show. City Winery is nice. I, you know, I like had a rehearsal or something and couldn't go to both. Right when I was graduating from college, I went to I went to Northwestern, which is in Evanston, which is Illinois, which is right next to Chicago. And he he the week that I graduated, he he played in both Evanston and Chicago. In Chicago, he played in like a like a Webster Hall esque venue, yeah. and then in Evanston, he played in this venue called space that has like a grand piano and is a sit down place. And is like, you know, they have like a recording studio in the back for people to, you know, do these like fancy live, you know, special feature things. And the whole time, I mean, it was so cool. He was like, I completely revamped my set list now that I have this, yeah, like knowing what his space was going to be like. And I mean, I think he said no fewer than five times, like, there's a piano here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like the nice thing about the city winery show uh, was they were so comfortable and like you could tell yeah. everybody was there to like ingest the music and, you know, people didn't have their one person had their phone out, but you know, that happens. Um, well, you, in the age watch? range at a mountain goats concert mm-hmm. is great too. Cause yeah. they started making music in like 91. So you're, you're never the youngest and you're never the oldest. You're yeah. always like, these are the people. <laughs> uh, but yeah, by the end of the show, he had done the same thing. He was like, there's a piano here. Yeah. The vibe. He was like, we recorded some songs downstairs in the wine cellar because it was great. Um, he ended up playing uh, Gold, a Goldfinger song on piano. Huh. Amazing. And like three people in the, three people in the crowd, and I'm including myself in that, uh, like started applauding and everybody else was like, what the hell's going on? And but he was just excited that he could do that to that kind of room. Yeah. And then he ended up for the next song, which I can't remember what it was, but he got up, put his guitar down, and started like climbing over things. And then just <laughs> walked into the audience. Really? No mic and was just singing at people. And just like like in here, he would just walk between the tables and just sing at you. And it was amazing. Yeah. He's I don't know, he's a really interesting guy because he has this really like colorful past. He yeah. like uh, had like drug addiction and he, he used to work with, you know, he, he was like a, a psychiatric nurse and he, but he like got married pretty young uh, to a woman that he's still married to and they have two kids. And eventually he just like got clean and kind of figured his shit out and makes music. And he also now writes novels and they're good. Like, I mean, he's very, he's very good, but he like, I don't know. He's like very much about like people always comment on how prolific he is. And his response is always like, well, it's my job. I think writing one song a week, if you're a musician is like a pretty low bar to clear, um, which is like, I guess so like a really cool way to think of it, but not how anyone else I know thinks about their job yeah. and they're not musicians. <laughs> Everyone else is like, if I can coast on as little as possible for as long as possible, then baby, I've got it made. Yeah. Uh, for anyone that's like not familiar with the mountain goats a ton, uh, and I'm only like, you know, casually familiar with mountain goats. Can you guys like uh, fill this out a little bit more? Because we're talking about one guy, but yeah. we're also talking about a band, right? And who his is this band guy? is called the mountain goats, but his name is John Darnell. And the lineup has changed from time to time. 
But for the last 10 years, it's been like pretty, a pretty consistent lineup. Yeah. His drummer is John Worcester from Super Chunk. Mm-hmm. Anyone? <laughs> cool. I He's mean, great. yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I was just that's to fair. Get that out there. No, well, yeah, think, and because no, over the fair. years, like sometimes he performs solo and he comes out and he goes, "Hi, we're the Mountain Goats." Yeah, it's like, <laughs> hi, like, John. I mean, he seems to have because uh, I only found out about him when I was in college, and truly, like one of those acts that I never dove into and has never made me feel like uh, less legitimate about being a music lover. Because yeah. it's like I feel like all the people I know that like music it's like they all are at least you know like reasonably familiar with the mountain goats work uh, at least like these kind of indie music people mm-hmm. that, that i'll hang out with and it's like <laughs> us i don't know uh, <laughs> uh, but i never just like really got into them but i that was like my first impression I was like oh okay i get it it's like this one guy's vehicle that was sort of my take when i first found out about them yeah yeah i think that's correct yeah. <laughs> uh so you were saying you so I was I was just saying uh, I found out about them in college. I want to say like junior senior year of college, yeah, which is pretty late in the game because that's like two thousand seven two thousand eight. Um, but you were a senior in high school, yeah, right? yeah. So what were you like? What was your music landscape like around that time? Um, I always just really listened to what my parents listened to for the most part. Like I didn't realize until I was towards the end of college. I was I was there that I was like oh, I don't get the internet. Like, <laughs> like, um, like I met all these people in college who were like, oh yeah, I mean, what about this site and this site? I've been reading this site forever and this is how I found this band. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I was like, are you talking about iTunes? Like, I mean, like nothing. Um, so, so like in high school, I was, I think like a low key music snob, but I'd only... I hadn't leveled up much. I just was on like the basic like level one of like, I don't listen to what's on the radio. Mm-hmm. But like that wasn't really true because <laughs> A, like everyone listens to what's on the radio when you're like driving to school and you're um, like 16. And also I was listening to what was on the radio. I just wasn't listening to top 40 hits. I was listening to classic rock. So like growing up, it was like, James Taylor, Carol King, Simon and Garfunkel, Beatles, Jackson Brown, Tom Petty, the Eagles. Like that was like it. Um, and I was very, very into that type of music. And then kind of like, you know, kind of got into like things that were like very easy derivatives of that. Mm-hmm. Like in high school, I was like, oh, spoon, <laughs> Ben Folds. Like things are just like, oh, these are, um, Like, you know, not to knock the stuff that I loved in high school, but uh, it's kind of like transparent music acts. You can see like the whole mechanics of how they're making music and you know what their inspirations are as you're listening to them. And it's like two, like two inspirations. And you're like, wow, it's kind of like this meets this. And like, that's that's what I liked. It was like, oh, it's kind of like Tom Petty meets Billy Joel, which are two things I already like, so this is fine. Um, And then, like, around my senior year of high school is when I started getting into, like, Animal Collective and, like, you know, Radiohead. Like, the stuff that then, like, a senior in high school is like, I'm brave. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I got to college and I realized immediately how not cool I was. Even though in 
high school, my belief was I'm so cool and nobody knows it. And once I get to college, everyone's going to figure it out. And it was like this cruel reversal where I was like, (laughs) oh my God, like I'm in the middle of this spectrum where like they, you know, like it's, it's, it's not, um, it was, you know, it, it was not an ego boost. Um, and then I, and then I learned how to use the internet. <laughs> I guess that would be my evolution as a music listener. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, uh, I, that thing about, you know, listen to classic rock and seeing the derivatives of it. I feel like that's exactly how my town works. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I also yeah. feel like I've been dishonest. I was a massive Green Day fan in high school. Like, <laughs> yes. I feel, I feel like, I, I feel like I can't lie. Like, I, like, I was a freshman in high school when American, American Idiot, Idiot came yeah. out, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> "Wow!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a rock opera. Um, I was like, mm, "Wow!" Daring much? Like, I mean, it was, it was like. And then I like got my parents to listen to it and they were like, pretty good. But if you're introducing your parents to music when you're like 16, that they're like, we should all go to a concert together. It's probably not that cool. <laughs> Did you go to a Green Day concert with your folks? Uh, yeah, we drove to Phoenix. I'm from Tucson. We drove two hours to Phoenix and the four of us were like, wow, we're having the time of our life. And I look back <laughs> on that now and I'm like, huh. Yeah. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I didn't come here to lie to you. I just came here <laughs> to tell it's the truth. And true. I realized I was like, I was like, I'm missing one band that I was really into. And that band is Green Day. Did I listen <laughs> to anything like pre American Idiot? Like kind of, I was really like a one trick pony fan with that band. <laughs> that they were, that was like an insane comeback for them. Cause, um, I was in college and I remember like, I liked, I listened to that album. I listened to it way more than any, recent green day album like when i was in high school yeah uh but i i got like totally side uh like sideswept by the fact that they had like all like everyone really took to them like dressed like them and really went nuts for it and it became a broadway musical right yeah another like solid marker that like what you're listening <laughs> to is not like that edgy <laughs> yeah see i had the good judgment to the good judgment. It's not good judgment. Uh, I would see the things that everybody was like, this is the cool thing. Be like, no, I'm going to still go more alternative. So like people are like green day. I was like, no, it's too, if it's popular, it's too cool. So I went to hot topic and I was like, who's a good band that hot topic is selling. Yeah. Hell and yeah. for a while I was like, AFI is pretty dude. They're I pretty knew you intense. were going to say AFI. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. Why? Because I was looking at an AFI album earlier today in our house. <laughs> we, wait, we have, I have one? I have Nitro. I have their best of their Nitro years oh, on vinyl. Man. I was going to say, if I still had something, you have it on vinyl? Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's, it's custom printed vinyl. There's a huge red bat all the, over the whole thing. That's how Very you knew gothic. it was cool. Oh, wow. And I decided like in that moment too, I was like, I can't part with this. <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to say AFI. Mm-hmm. See, but in, so I used to like, like the same way you listen to Green Day and just like a couple of stuff. I would do that by recording a cassette tape. So it would have like the Green Day song, but also with the radio DJ on it. And then just listen to it in the suburbs in my station wagon. Yeah. Super oh, yeah. Cool. I used to have, uh, I had cassettes specifically labeled radio mixes. Um, and like, boy, were those all over the place. 
Cause it's just like hopping from station to station, recording what you like. Um, for some reason, I think I have a bunch from around the time 311 was huge. Uh, or the first time 311 was huge. <laughs> Let's be honest. Talk about comebacks. Uh, thank you. Oh my God. What was the name of that song? Amber. Mm. That was a big comeback. Um, sheesh, guys. <laughs> you don't love 311? They had one guy who rapped. They did. They did. Yeah. You need one. Yeah. What, you're going to go on tour and not have one? <laughs> what if it comes up? <laughs> That's why you keep the guy in the back to you with the turntables. Yes, yes. Just in case. Emergency turntables. Um, so, uh, sorry, you said Tucson, right? That's where yeah, you, you Tucson, Arizona. Cool. So, uh, Home of Linda Ronstadt. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's yes. great. Yes. Yeah. Any other famous people from Tucson that we should know about? Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I think, yeah, but Linda Ronstadt is like, musically speaking, she is like, she's the big one. Yeah. And Were she, you- and that's why, um, that's why Tucson has that shout out on um, Under African Skies on Graceland because she oh. collaborated with Paul Simon on that track and they talk about San Javier Mission, which is in Tucson. So, you know, it's out there. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, she's really talented. <laughs> so, you know, she's like sitting at home just being like, God, what do people think of me? I just want her to know I really think you're talented. <laughs> yeah, right? Give it up for Linda yeah. Rostad. Yeah. She really has had, she like has had a really cool career. Yeah, right? she's, I think she has Parkinson's now though. Oh, I mean, not to like bring it. Yeah, yeah. But I also like, I don't think she's, I think that's the main reason why she's not listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but if she does, then yeah. hopefully it'll be uplifting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it was like, would, would you say like your parents say some music was pretty typical of like other kids in your school, you know, from that area or whatever? Um, maybe. Uh, it's hard to say because I don't think my friends were as into their parents' music as I was into my parents' music. They're more, I mean, like I, I wasn't like, I mean, like I loved like in sync when I was growing up and I loved Britney Spears. Like, it's not like I didn't like the top 40 stuff, but it was around the time that like I, y- y- you start getting like a little snobby. That's when I was just like Michelle branch. Like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> that was more my speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had some really good friends who were really into country music, which was something that their parents also listened to. And my parents don't listen to country music at all. The Eagles is like the closest they come. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I think my parents' music taste is like typical of like a lot of their friends, but I don't think that that my music taste was typical of my friends at the time. Yeah. Of course now, like all my friends, <laughs> like the stuff that I grew up listening to. Yeah. Cause they like eventually found it, I would assume. Right. Yeah. We're like, you know, my friends now just like also grew up with that music in their house, but my parents also, I mean, they just also played a lot of music in the house and loved music. And my dad plays guitar. Um, just like, has just always taken a weekly guitar lesson and practices at home and like is very good. And so there was always music in the house and driving to school and stuff like that. 
Um, we're also like, as a family, are like huge meatloaf fans. <laughs> so I mean, cool. it's not it's not all, um, you know, folksy. Is it like uh, I'm only you know, like, I'm like so familiar with meatloaf as most people probably are. Uh, is that like to me the biggest like hook with him has always been like how theatrical. He yes, is. he's so theatrical, but. Bad Out of Hell was the album that was in my dad's car. And it's like a six song album and Bad Out of Hell, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, Dashboard Light are both on it. And those were like the two songs that I'd listened to over and over again. I like partially learned about like sex through my mom, like explaining to me what Paradise by the Dashboard Light was about. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's like a personal origin story. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, well, so this whole story kind of started with uh, you were in choir, right? Yeah, high school choir. I was in the two, I well, I was in the Tucson Girls Chorus, which was a citywide choir for nine years growing up. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, nationally touring. Right? Internationally touring. Interna- where did you go internationally? I, so, so there are like different, guys, let's talk. I, yeah. There are different, <laughs> there are different like levels of choir. And so you get through, through like testing, you like get promoted. And so the high, the highest level choir is the one that tours internationally. And then the one right below it tours in the United States. So, I got promoted to the, the advanced choir when oh. I was in eighth grade. And then every other year you do an international tour. So when I was in eighth grade, I went to England, Scotland and Wales. And then, and then, oh, and then we took a couple of years off because the director transitioned. I mean, guys, this is the gossip. And the director <laughs> transitioned. We didn't take an international tour. We were like, what? They were like, hold tight. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, another tour was to, um, Austria, Germany, and the Czech Republic. Wow, wow. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then I was also in choir in high school because, I mean, you got to lean into the brand. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a kind of music that you've stayed attached to in any way? Um, yes. I still love choral music and still love listening to it, but choral music, like any other genre, definitely like advances and goes through trends, and that's something that I have no idea what's going on in it, I, I really like continue to just listen to the same choirs, even like they'll put out new albums or whatever, but I don't know if they're like on trend or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love, I love choral music. It's not really something I like I'm listening to on the train, but it's a, uh, I don't know. It does hit the spot. Yeah. What are like, what, what are the kind of moments you might uh, listen to it? It's a good question. Um, like today, for example, I like woke up at eight and started working and like I was just kind of writing from eight until, you know, four. Mm-hmm. And like when I like it, like t- like on a day like that where it's just like super monotonous and you're just like, I need a break. Like I probably would not take a break listening to something that's more like lyrically driven. I would probably just listen to, you know, like... Mozart Requiem or some Benjamin Britten or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, So uh, I'm just trying to like put put the pieces together. Yeah. Musical family. Yeah. Did a lot of music. Uh, What did you study at Northwestern? I studied theater and then I had a minor in poetry. Cool. Yeah. And 
like I I would I would think or assume that that kind of direction is something your parents were always really into and supportive. They're really, really supportive. Um, my mom's an accountant. My dad runs a family business. That's a jewelry store that my great grandpa started in Russia and then moved it to the United States. And, um, my dad definitely had pressure to continue on the family business. And I think because of that, my sister and I never received that type of pressure at all. And I was really into theater growing up, um, like really into it. And my sister has always just been generally artistic. Like she's musical and she likes theater and she did like circus stuff at summer camp and she's a visual artist. And now she goes to college for visual art. Um, And so my parents, my parents love theater and they love music and like, you know, they're, they're very into all that stuff. So they've always been really supportive. Uh, I do think that my parents wouldn't have said, that's a terrible idea to me, like getting another major in something that was not less practical than theater, like poetry. (laughs) I was like, I'm getting another degree. They're like, that's great. Is it in psychology or economics? (laughs) Not exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, they're, they're super supportive uh, and have always been like, I, I, cause when I graduated from college, I was like, so dumb. I should have like gotten a teaching degree. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I just like, I'm going to end up teaching. I'm like, slow down, (laughs) like like, have your crisis and like another, like postpone it for a year. You can like always go back to school and get a teaching degree if that's what you decide you want to do. And I was like, thank you for saying that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, were, were you into musical theater particularly or? Yeah, but I was never good enough to like have that be my thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I think I wanted nothing more growing up to just, than to just be like this like triple threat Broadway baby. But like I'm tall and I always felt like I had a complex about being tall because so many men who do theater are so short. (laughs) And I was like, I can never be a lead. I'm always going to be a like character actress you know like I blamed it on my height it's not my talent it's my height (laughs) um and then like I mean I I have a I have a nice voice but I don't have I'm not like a powerhouse and then I went to college and I was like okay well I'm gonna like do musical theater and I like auditioned to have a voice to to get into this vocal class which is like a a pre uh, prerequisite for being accepted into the musical theater program. And I wasn't accepted into this class and I like immediately gave up. I, I did not have a fighting <laughs> spirit. I wasn't like, okay, well I can work with this. I was like, well, that's it. They don't want me like, <laughs> completely abandoned it. Um, but yeah, love, I mean, loved theater growing up. Yeah. Well, um, do you have like a an all time favorite musical or like one or two? Oh, or? that's a good question. Um, I mean, like I do think that Les Mis is like the show that growing up was like my favorite. I have seen it so many times. I'm <laughs> set for like fifty years. <laughs> I mean, like it, like it's actually like it's so stupid how many times I've seen it. I've seen Les Mis eight times and I saw it like eight times in like 11 years and it was years ago but like it was it was like a it was like a yearly ritual for my family we were like well we haven't seen Les Mis yet this year so when the fuck are we gonna get on that (laughs) um it's been a good year but where the fuck was Les Mis so 
you know, some years we'd see it twice just to, I don't know. Tied over. We did that instead of going to synagogue. So, <laughs> um, so I mean, I do think that is my all time favorite, but like, yeah. I can kind of just like shut my eyes and like, if you leave me alone for three hours, I can just like go through it from t- beginning <laughs> to end and like, I'm all right. So you've seen uh, Les Mis eight times. Yeah. And you've seen the mountain goats six times. Yeah. Is there, do you have like a, I'm not even like going to draw a comparison. <laughs> I just want to know, uh, do you have like a favorite mountain goats show you've been to? Like one that stands out. Um, I, th- I think that the one that I saw in Evanston right after I graduated college is definitely up there. Uh, that was around the time I went to that, co- I went to that concert by myself and I went to both concerts by myself and I had kind of been in this trend where I would like, I was afraid of going to things by myself and I would bring these people. And then the entire time I was just so nervous about them enjoying themselves that I couldn't enjoy myself. And then yeah. I would feel so like, um, you know, I felt like I was, I was, I was so bummed at the end of the night. I was like, well, that's so unfair. Like I didn't get to have fun at all. Um, and so kind of going by myself felt like kind of just like a, a, like my own like spiritual thing where I just got to like go by myself and do what I wanted to do with that. Um, and not like force someone else to be a part of the experience with me. (laughs) Uh, but I also, I did go to one, concert where second city in Chicago does like this annual fundraiser called letters to Santa. And it's like a 24 hour show and there's comedy and there's music. And it's like a fundraiser for a charity that um, does Christmas gifts for kids, I think. And the mountain goats did it at midnight one year. And so I went with some friends and he played, he like did some improv, which was like insane. (laughs) Um, And, and, I don't, I mean, I don't know how many comedians are in the audience, but like this was, this was crazy. So I was, so I was a sophomore in college at the time and he, and I was like, I was like getting into improv and he, and he has a very interesting relationship to religion. Um, and like he, he's very, very knowledgeable of the Bible and it's, and is religious, but like isn't religious. And that's kind of the weird part about it. You're like, you were an entire album based on, on Bible verses, but that's not, but he's not like a practicing Christian and like going to church. And so he like did this improv game and afterwards he was just like, kind of like, I, he was like, that was so weird. That was so weird. (laughs) And then he, and then he said, he was like, improvisers are amazing because you make something where there was nothing. And that's what God does. (laughs) And I was like, Whoa. (laughs) Oh my God. Like that's a way to get your ego all pumped up. (laughs) I'm like, wow, I guess like I am doing art. (laughs) And so, but, but at that, at that, at that concert, he at a certain point started taking requests and there are certain songs that Mount Goats fans know, like he won't, he won't play them. He just like is sick of playing them and they don't, he doesn't like those songs anymore. And he was getting a couple of those requests and he's, and he just was like, if you pay me, if you donate $300 to the charity, I'll do it. And the person was like, okay, I like, this is my favorite song. I really want to hear you sing it. (laughs) And then from then on, it was, it was request based and you would request a song and he would tell you how much he felt like that song was amazing. (laughs) And you would donate the money to the charity. And like that set 
made like a you know a few thousand dollars in like 30 minutes for this charity it was so cool that's amazing yeah it was really it was really neat yeah that's that's super cool um awesome nicole thanks so much for talking to us thanks so much for having me uh everyone give it up Figure I'll bring up Kaylin Marie, who played our first show, and we're very excited to have her back. So here you go. Thank you. Now, if you want to listen to Kaylin's cover of Shadow Song, you can hit pause on this episode and head over to repeater.show, where it's available to stream. You can hit pause, like, now. And wow, you just hit play again, and we are back in the swing of things. Let's throw it over to Kaylin Marie for an original song. Encore! Sweet. Thanks, guys. Uh, comedic relief. I am not... Well, let's see if I can do it. I would say um, maybe this song, you know, if, if that song was more or less referencing a, a breakup instead of a deeper loss, which breakups can be deep losses, but, um, <laughs> you know, not a friend who passed um, or a loved one. This was about a breakup, something a little lighter, point being, I, you know, maybe this would be the song that the person who was waiting for that person to come to the seat would sing. Maybe not. It's just a little sassy. I usually have a uh, little tap dancer with me, too. He's not little. He's, like, tall. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but anyway, you can imagine. It's a little swampy. I wasted the best of me By believing you were better than you'd seen Now all that's left is the worst And babe, it ain't afraid to of you to show up. It's only been a year and a couple of months. Oh, you want to hear your favorite song? Well, baby's a new one. Sing along. Your handsome eyes couldn't keep me seeing blind. Your foolish kiss didn't do the trick. Your love making wasn't worth the waiting, so I didn't. A man who ain't afraid to show his love. Now I'm asking you to listen. I know it's not your favorite way. Baby, why, why would I wait for a man not proud to stand by me? And when your handsome eyes couldn't keep me seeing blind, your foolish kiss didn't do the trick. Your love making wasn't worth the waiting, so I didn't. found me a man who ain't. 
This is where the guy who's not afraid to show his love in the tap dancer tap dances. And I put him on display. It takes a thing called courage to hold a woman's hand. In fact, it makes the difference between a boy and a man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Evan and Patrick. For more info on Nicole Silverberg, check out NicoleSilverberg.com and follow her on Twitter at NSilverberg. She will both delight and enlighten you. Plus, you can listen to Kayla Marie's music and find out where she's playing next at KaylaMarieMusic.com and by following her on Instagram at KaylaMarieMusic. I want to give an extra thanks not only to our guests for being on this episode, but also to all of our friends and family who came out to our one-year anniversary show. The room was really warm and wonderful and we're lucky to have such a supportive group of people around us. Yeah. We are really lucky boys. I'm also so happy we got to talk about a Mountain Goat song. I love that band and basically everything John Derniel does. So this was a really fun one for me. Amen, brother. Amen. Until next time, hit repeat. Evan, put a shirt on. Repeater is hosted by Evan Forbarden and Patrick Cartelli at QED in Astoria, Queens, a place to show and tell. Find out more at QEDAstoria.com. Our show is supported in part by Hi-Fi Records and Cafe in Astoria. Visit them from wherever you are at hi-fi-records.com. Editing by Stephen Garvey. Theme music by The Sun Lions. Everything else by Love Nest Productions. Welcome to Repeater. Repeater.